This episode of the Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the members of the U.S. Naval Institute. Our members write, debate, and discuss key issues that ultimately strengthen the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Benefits include a subscription to our award-winning Proceedings Magazine, discounts to over a 1,000 titles from books published by the Naval Institute Press, and graphic novels from Dead Reckoning, a discounted subscription to Naval History Magazine, special invitations to conferences and events, and access to 146 years of archival information such as historic photos, oral histories, and so much more. For more, go to usni.org join. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me for this episode of the podcast is the Proceedings Magazine Deputy Editor-in-Chief and a guy who hasn't been on the show for some time, retired Navy Captain and Intel Officer Extraordinaire, Bill Bray. Hello, Bill. Hello, Ward. Also a very good golfer. He can go low, ladies and gentlemen. He's not afraid to go low, unlike me. Um, Putting more time and money into it lately. (laughs) Yes. No, it's great. So what's happening around Proceedings Magazine? Well, um, as you know, we had the first uh, American Sea Power event today, um, virtual event, uh, with four uh, four authors, three different, uh, the first three um, American Sea Power articles, um, co-author Jerry Roncalado and Paul Jarrah, and the first one, Jim Holmes, and then um, Nick Lambert. Um, so it, it went very well. We had a high attendance, over a hundred, uh, more than a hundred questions sent in in the hour. Could only uh, unfortunately get to a few of them, but it all went well. So the next one will be in a few months, and uh, we'll be hopefully part of it anyway. We'll be live, but that's TBD. Uh, live meaning the the authors will come to the Naval Institute in the new conference center. So that's going on. Uh, we got the new Naval re- uh, Review, the latest Naval Review issue, the May issue every year, the 168-page version. We're all you know, sleep-deprived, but we got it done by last uh, Friday and, and uh, approved and uh, off to the printer Monday. Um, so that'll be coming to your mailboxes and I'll be online on the 1st of May uh, very soon, including uh, in that uh, many good articles but the general prize essay contest winner will be in there i won't spoil um spoil that for our readers uh who it is and what it is and uh so that's about it well so talking about the american sea power project i watched the event and as bill hamlet the editor-in-chief and a guy who's normally the co-host on the show stated this is a all hands all comers enterprise you know so the guys today were historians and navalists and some of the usual suspects, but we want JOs, we want chiefs, we want Coast Guardsmen, we want aficionados, we want interested parties. This isn't one and done. It's going to go on for some time. Um, We're going to sort of tweak the site, usni.org, so that it's easier to find. But if you go to the front door of proceedings at usni.org, you can see the key articles there. And as you've said, we'll point out on the show which articles are in each issue of the magazine. But we're pretty bullish on this as sort of core to the Naval Institute mission. And one of the guests said as much. So uh, this is going to be a big deal. This is going to be a big deal. Absolutely. All right. So let's get right to our guests. As we've said before, if you don't pay attention to usni.org between issues of the magazine, you're going to miss a lot. And here's a good example, an article uh, from the March digital posts. It's called Warrior Spirit Fickle Heart. 
And with us, we have Captain Rob Francis, who's beaming in from San Diego, and Medical Corps Commander Philip Perinez. So, Philip, where are you in the world? Well, I'm in uh, Great Lakes here in North Chicago, Illinois. Okay, so you're at the Recruit Command there? Correct. Very good. How's, how are things going with our future sailors up there at Great Lakes? I wish it was a little bit warmer, but I think we always do here in North Chicago. Um, it's only my first uh, nine months here on station, but uh, it's been enjoyable so far. Fantastic. So, Rob, tell us about this event and spare no details. Hey, Ward, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, you know, as I discussed, uh, get uh, this lesson out to the entire fleet because um, I felt like um, I wasn't getting the full story. Um, you know, I'll start at the end first. After my heart attack, I met a number of senior officers, uh, commanders through, um, you know, 09 who basically said, hey, oh, yeah, by the way, I had a heart attack, too. Guys who had successful careers, you would never you look at them and you're like, I want to be like that guy. He never knew that they had an issue. So I didn't want uh, anyone else to have to suffer without realizing um, that there was an alternative way and it really could happen to you. And so, you know, my story is uh, just like, you know, a lot of other naval officers story. Um, I've been on the go in uh, the on the career track, if you will, since uh, department head where it's back to back to back uh, tough billets. Um, and I did my three years uh, XOC of fleet up on uh, USS Lassen out of uh, Yakushita, Japan, then went right back into reactor officer. Um, it was during that, that period where um, I started having what, you know, one night I, I went to bed, uh, we were in port, and I just remember waking up, I was sweating, heart was beating really fast, and I, I just sat there waiting for it to calm down. It could not. You know, my heart beat would not go down. It just kept racing. I got up, drank some water, and hung out for a little while. Then it stopped. But it made me nervous because that had never happened before. Um, next day, went into the office. It was a weekend or, or a holiday. Um, and everyone else was off, but we were working. And uh, I was doing a critique. Same thing happened again. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, oh, he gave me an EKG. He said, everything's fine. Um, fast forward, and you know, that was the answer I wanted to hear because I went right back to work. Fast forward, and it was, uh, I was the deputy on board uh, USS Theodore Roosevelt on uh, Deseron 23 staff, the deputy commodore, and we were doing Com 2X, and sitting at my desk and just had this sharp pain really difficult for me to breathe. It, it was happening late at night. I was sitting at my desk and, you know, this happened. It'd go away after a few minutes. A couple of nights later, the same thing would happen. And I had, I was taking some medication for a, another ailment, stomach ailment I was having. And I thought that was the problem. So I called. It was the day after Thanksgiving. I, I, I woke up after having one of these episodes and, and I went, you know what? I got to talk to the senior medical officer about this. And I called the senior medical officer. Actually, before I called the senior medical officer, I went to the our, our morning uh, huddle at at seven thirty in the morning. And during that huddle, the pain returned, except it was more intense than I'd ever felt it. 
And I, it got to the point where I was leaning on the chart table, having difficulty to breathe. They came to me, hey, deputy, you have anything? No. And just, it took everything just for me to say that with a straight face. Because, of course, you know, I'm the deputy, I'm a captain. I shouldn't be having that. I, I should know how to take care of myself. I don't need anyone else to tell me um, how to take care of myself. And the, the pain uh, subsided when I got back to my stateroom. I picked up the radio. I called the senior medical officer. Um, he told me to give him a call in J dial, picked up the phone, called him. And he said, hey, come on, come on and see me at 12. Sounds like from what you're telling me, we may have to change your medication or something uh, for that, for you, for your, your, the other ailment uh, in your stomach. Hung up the phone, decided to go see the, the SMO at 12. And I went in my normal routine, uh, 0900 morning update brief and sat down. They started the meeting a minute or two later. The pain, the intense pain returned. I said, this is not right. And I got up without saying a word, you know, literally, you know, bouncing off, you know, the, uh, the, the passageway as I made it back to my stateroom. One of my officers saw me, Lieutenant Commander Gallegos, and he said, sir, are you okay? My door was still open at the time, and I was just sitting there, you know, bent over, you know, made the call to SMO, and, you know, Lieutenant uh, Commander Gallegos stayed with me. Um, and I say, Smo, something is wrong. This is not right. I don't know what's going on, but I need help right away. It was worth that effect. Um, sent uh, a doctor, a nurse, and they coming up. And by the time they came up, the doctor asked, hey, can you make it down to medical? And <laughs> the picture that I had in my mind is of being belayed down the stretcher, um, you know, down three, three flights of stairs was, hey, man, it's going to take an hour for them to do it. And they're going to drop me, and I'd probably end up dead on the stretcher by the time I got there. So I said, no, thank you. I will walk. I'm walking down the P-Way, and the sailors that I know, and I'm saying hi as if nothing's wrong, following the doctor. It's just a routine day. And I get in, and I collapse on the gurney. They hook me up to an EKG. You know, the corpsman runs out, and the you know, senior medical officer comes back, and he says, Rob, you're having a heart attack. We need to medevac you right away. Um, shortly thereafter, I said, Doc, I understand. Just give me something for the pain. And, you know, I, you know he, he said those words to me. And I'm like, man, I'm having a heart attack. I can die from this. And I'm just thinking, man, I totally messed this up. I'm not sure if I'm going to see my family again because the ship's at sea. And I may not make it. As that's going through my mind, suddenly my heart yeah, the pain is just unbearable. I sit up on the gurney and I ask the doctor, hey, just give me anything for the pain. They gave me some medicine. And at that point, I started feeling a little better. But I just remember saying, I don't feel so well. I'm just going to lie down for a little while. I lied down. I said a little prayer. And uh, because I thought for sure that, man, I may not wake up again. I, I thought that in my mind, but um, I laid down. And when I woke up, the room was bright. There were probably 50 people in the room. I had all these probes uh, coming out of my chest. And, you know, the doctors are talking about, yep, he went into cardiac arrest and we had to resuscitate him as they were taking uh, their notes. Um, and I got medevaced. And later that day, I had three stents uh, put into my heart. I had a 99% blockage in my lower anterior descending um, artery. Where did you get medevaced to? 
Uh, I got Medifac to Scripps Memorial Hospital um, in San Diego because we're right off the coast. Okay. Okay. So when you describe the pain, you've talked about the pain. What is it? Knife in the chest? What tightness of breath? What What is this pain that you were feeling? Sharp chain down the left side of my chest. Felt as if I had an elephant sitting on my chest and nothing I did alleviated the pain. I tried to lie down. I stood up. I leaned over. Um, you know, I laid on the ground <laughs> at one point. And nothing I did. I, I started breathing slowly. I tried to burp, thinking it was heartburn or something. I tried to drink some water. Nothing alleviated the pain. Dr. Philip, I think Rob was lucky. He was on an aircraft carrier for one thing. But as you hear what his treatment was, what are your thoughts? It's a pretty incredible story. And um, he's incredibly lucky. At, at the same time, um, it's not terribly uncommon for how this presents with uh, our patients. So the type of symptoms uh, that Captain is describing here are the classic signs and symptoms of an acute heart attack, okay? Whether or not it's chest discomfort, shortness of breath, nausea, pressure, symptoms are severe, acute, and onset. Uh, he had symptoms that were uh, coming and going, but uh, which we might classify as unstable. But those are classic uh, signs. He knew that there was something wrong. It, it, nothing he could do could alleviate those symptoms. Oftentimes that, uh, you know, hopefully precipitates either the patient or those around them to seek urgent medical attention. And, and I think that they did uh, the appropriate things is trying to get him uh, triaged Immediately, the hard part is when um, symptoms are sputtering like he had, uh, they are often misperceived or, or felt to potentially be due to something else, something less dangerous, frankly. Um, and uh, that often happens when patients have no prior history of heart disease or other medical um, problems that, that could contribute. And so we're not sure what they are. And in that case, uh, you can have a delay in care, whether or not you're at home or, or on a ship. And, um, and in some cases, that could be, uh, you know, cause serious um, complications and even death. So um, when I read this in draft in the editing process, it was, you know, first of all, it was a great article. Congratulations to both of you. In your section there of, of the article, you talk about ways to prevent and stuff. And I'm particularly interested in the CCTA, the which I think is the calcium score uh, that you can get with a CT scan, which I've done just because of my history. Um, but I didn't know much about it. And I don't even know if it existed back in the eighties. Um, and, and it was such a simple thing, like of 10 minutes, you know, boom, boom, you're in and out of there. And I'm wondering why that isn't done regularly with, with, especially with men in their, you know, forties and, and into their early fifties. It's a it's a great question, and and one we're hoping to answer uh, in the research we're doing at uh, Naval Medical Center San Diego and and across, um, hopefully across uh, the major MTFs at in within Navy Medicine. So the short answer is that we currently risk stratify patients who come to us without symptoms based on a combination of risk factors, age, gender, 
you know, smoking, diabetes, cholesterol, blood pressure. We look at these, we, we put them into something called a pool cohort uh, equation, and that spits out a 10-year risk of heart attack and stroke, fatal and non-fatal events. We call them atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or ASCVD events. We use those to help guide our decision about who is going to benefit from uh, primary preventative therapy. That's cholesterol medicine as possibly uh, aspirin for for many patients uh, in the right age group, in in addition to other lifestyle factors, increasing cardiovascular exercise, improving your diet, losing weight, managing diabetes, quitting smoking, those kinds of things. The issue is that when you look at that group, especially that younger group, what I would call uh, younger in general, but in our active duty population, maybe uh, sort of towards the end of their career, Uh, or certainly at 20 years, then when you look at, we are typically in a little bit better shape. We exercise more. Our cardiovascular fitness is better. The typical testing and things are not really designed for us. Some of the symptoms that are classic for someone with lots of medical problems who doesn't exercise much might not come out in uh, patients who exercise regularly. Further, um, that when you look at that group in general and you plug them into the calculators, they tend to have a low risk. They don't meet criteria for preventative, uh, necessarily medical treatment. So how do we integrate these two things? We know, we all know, uh, you know, you've mentioned yourself uh, that we know colleagues who have had uh, adverse cardiovascular events, heart attacks on the job. Uh, you know, we've known colleagues who've retired and and had problems afterwards. How do we identify these patients early? Well, the issue is that you have a subset, whether or not it's genetic factors, uh, uh, can be you know genetically inherit, inherited, uh, uh, you know, cholesterol or other risk factors where uh, that predispose you to uh, developing uh, coronary artery disease that these patients, when averaged out over a very large population, um, don't seem to move the numbers much. It, say, folks in this lower age group with lower risk factors, well, they don't have very many heart attacks or, or strokes or heart events. But for that individual, for that person, right, for our, you know, in the middle of the ocean on a ship where you have a lot of people relying on you out, out on deployment, that matters a lot. Our tolerance for risk uh, needs to be a little bit uh, lower. Um, uh, we, we can't tolerate that kind of risk. And what can we do to mitigate that? So you integrate uh, some of these uh, treatments you're talking about in terms of CT scan, uh, coronary artery calcium score. So that's really designed for folks who have a, uh, interme- a borderline or intermediate risk and, and maybe something else, maybe a family history or something that says uh, where a parent perhaps died early, uh, you know, younger than age 50, uh, men or, or women uh, for sure, that uh, it may be appropriate to screen you with that technology. It's fast, it's effective, and has good uh, prognostic information about um, what your long-term risk is and how to treat you as an individual. Again, like uh, any technology, there are limitations. And some of the highest risk lesions within the, the, like plaques within the coronary arteries, don't show up on those scans. 
And those lesions specifically are the highest risk for causing sudden heart attack. And we know that, that patients who suffer from this, uh, oftentimes a heart attack may be the first sign that you have coronary disease. And so how do we find this? Uh, we're, we're looking to see if technologies uh, called the coronary CT angiography, which is a special CT scan of the coronary arteries and of the heart that uses intravenous contrast and can not only detail uh, what the vessels in the anatomy is, but also whether or not you have plaque there and what type of plaque you have. So it's a little bit more sophisticated. It's a little bit more involved. That is not done routinely, but we at uh, in our research group are looking to see if we can identify a group um, who may benefit. So, Doc, you say a heart attack may be the first indication that you have coronary disease. That's kind of a bad matrix. It goes right from zero to Mach 1. Uh, Rob, so you, you do a good job of describing your matrix. You know, so you're, you're a reasonable guy. You're out there operating. You, you're the deputy Desron. You, in the paragraph titled Condition for Failure, you, you relate that you went 15 times for routine follow-ups, ailing knee, stomach pain, vitals were taken, everything's normal. You know, and you're like, how did I have a heart attack? You know, because we're listening and we walk the dog backwards like any mishap. You're like, okay, what are the causal factors? You could break the chain of events here. But in your case, and this is the scary part, it seems like you did everything you could. Now, as you think back, is there some point along the way that maybe you could have taken a, a more deliberate path towards solving the heart attack piece? Excellent question, Ward. Uh, and you get to the heart of the issue. And I spent a lot of sleepless nights uh, once I was uh, released from the heart attack thinking about this. Being a, a nuke, I did a critique on myself. And, uh, you know, I, I came up with a lot of problems that, uh, you know, going back to the way I was raised, you know, in that I only went to a doctor when I was seriously ill. I didn't go when the symptoms that um, I normally don't have appeared. Um, so that was the first thing. Um, the second part is in the job um, a, as a you know, a, as a naval officer, I'm rewarded for completing the mission, and that means a lot of times sacrificing my time with my family and time taking care of myself and going to the doctor and following up. I recently spoke to a friend of mine who also had a heart attack and basically collapsed on his way to work. And he had an issue on the ship. And the doctor said, hey, two, I need you to go see the doctor as soon as you get off of sea duty in a month. And it was two months. He's on shore duty. And he took an episode where crossing the street, he basically collapsed and had to be helped to the hospital for that person to actually take it seriously. So there's some cultural issues as well where we're just not seeing the symptoms. As far as my personal symptoms, as I look back, the heart palpitations that I had um, initially back in March, that was a symptom. And I went and I got hooked up to the EKG and the doctor told me, hey, it's all good. But I don't think he was really listening to me, you know. And did I push back and go, doc, no, this is, it's not okay. 
because this has never happened to me before. I need a better explanation than that. Did I do that? No. What did I do? I went right back into the critique and said, hey, guys, sorry I'm late. Let's continue. Okay. And, you know, what I wanted to hear the doctor says was, you're good to go. I got the full bill of health. And so, you know, when I say conditioned for failure, that's what I mean um, in that, you know, we, 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 we lied to ourselves a lot. And I lied to myself, you know, a whole time. Not only that, but getting back um, to Bill's uh, previous question and yours about, hey, um, what can we do to figure out what's wrong, um, that we, we truly have a problem? It starts with the fact that I don't see myself as someone who has any risk factors for heart attack, you know, and most military officers and most of us in the military are, are healthy. And we always assume that that person who had the heart attack, they weren't taking care of themselves. They are not like me. I am not like that. I work out every day. I eat everything in moderation. And my biggest wake up call was, you know, Right when I was getting ready to be released, the nutritionist gave me a, help, a pamphlet and the doctor kept saying, it's not your fault. There's nothing we can do. And I felt so out of control because the pamphlet said, here's what you should eat, everything in moderation. And I was like, I, I, I had this quizzical look on my puzzle look on my face and I went, but that's what I did. And I had a heart attack and I felt so hopeless at that point. And that's really what made me want it. reached out to um, Dr. Perinez. Now, one, you know, um, he, he did a procedure, a follow-up procedure on me. And uh, as we were checking out, my mother and my wife were in the room. And they were giving me a hard time about liking to eat spicy foods. And so I tur turned to Doc and I said, Doc, you got to help me out here, you know. And, you know, he gave, you know, very politically correct answer of, hey, everything in moderation. And I go, that's my guy. <laughs> um, but but really, um, there's some cultural issues that we have to address. And, you know, we also need to look at it. You know, on my deathbed, I felt helpless because, you know, yes, my family would be taken care of financially, you know, if I if I was to pass away. And luckily, I, I didn't. But. Um, I realized that, you know, I was, you know, my, my wife doesn't work and I'm the breadwinner in, in the home and I did not take care of myself. I lied, you know, to myself and, you know, I, I was hypocrite because I always tell myself, Hey, make sure you go take care of yourself. And I, when they were telling me lying to me, I could see it on their face that, Hey, um, no, something's not right with you. I don't care what you say. I really want you to go talk to doc or. You know, I, I made it a point to intervene in that person's life. And I did not do the same thing for me. And I didn't have a whole lot of people who were doing that for me either. You know, no one was looking me in the, the eye and going, Rob, you know, here's what you don't look right. You need to go see the doctor. Well, before we came on air, you mentioned the last time you saw Doc is when you were in extremis. So, relate how you guys met. So, um, I wasn't really an extremist. It was a follow-up um, because you know my uh, the surgeon uh, from Scripps thought that there may be another blockage of concern, and Doc did a procedure um, to confirm that it was really not an issue. Um, and 
uh, you know, he took the time to really explain to me what was happening, what, what he was looking at. And it was really the first time that I had the opportunity to ask Doc some questions about, uh, you know, what it really meant for me. You know, what does it mean for my career? What can I do? What can't I do? Um, and it's really interesting. And this should be, you know, one of the key takeaways. If you go early and they detect that you have an issue, you know, and a lot of guys have told me this. I went in on Friday and I was back at work on Monday. And whereas if you have a heart attack, now your limb due um, for at least one limb due period. Uh, you can't, you're not worldwide deployable for up to a year while you're on certain medication. Um, and um, you have to pass a stress test before they even put you back, um, you know, declare you worldwide deployable again. And, you know, obviously you're on a lot more medication than if you had um, taken action on the initial symptoms. At the point you presented with the palpitations, if they had done a CCTA, and maybe this is a question for for the doc, um, the way I read the article, that would have given them a, about a 50% chance of, of finding something. Did I read that right in the article? Yes. Uh, and Captain Francis brings up a great point, which is, uh, you know, you, you seem to do everything right. You, you don't feel that you've been unhealthy you start to experience strange symptoms. You're not sure what they are. You know, what do you do next? Who do you talk to? Um, and there's some trust in the current medical infrastructure that that the medical team will identify those symptoms or associate those symptoms with possible, you know, heart disease and have you seen, you know, by a cardiologist. Um, that's the first recommendation. If you have symptoms that are concerning, you should have proper evaluation. In the case where, uh, you know, we have lots of uh, standard techniques that we use to evaluate uh, chest pain to basically exclude symptomatic coronary artery disease, narrowing of the arteries within the heart uh, that feed the heart muscle that cause these types of symptoms and, and, and can cause heart attacks. The simplest is that we put folks on a treadmill. We see how you exercise and look for characteristic, uh, you know, problems on the ECG tracing, the electrical tracing of the heart. Um, oftentimes, we add special imaging to that to determine if there's areas of the heart that are suffering from lack of blood. Sometimes in younger, more physically active patients, um, you know, they may have those positive tests when we take them, you know, into the workup process. But if they have chest pain and end up in the emergency room, as it has been with my own patients, uh, they may say, look, I, I had some chest discomfort and I just, uh, you know, and it came on after, uh, you know, this afternoon. Well, you know, what were you doing? Well, I just finished a nine mile run. In, in the immediate interpretation from, you know, the, 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 um, provider is, well, it can't be coronary disease. You just did nine miles at, you know, eight minute pace. How could that be? Well, the truth is, is that it can be. So in this case, um, in certain, uh, cases, yes, if you 
pass a stress test and you still have very typical sounding symptoms or there's conflicting information or high risk symptoms, uh, oftentimes you, you could be referred for a coronary CT angiogram or CCTA. And in this case, uh, probably would have uh, detected the problem earlier. He may not have needed it. So uh, in the end game here, Doc, what would you recommend in terms of some big picture, big ticket, 30,000 foot dietary lifestyle recommendations to minimize the potential for a heart, heart attack? And then just going forward, what are the best practices? The, the 30,000 foot view on this is, um, you know, take care of yourself and, and take care of those who you love. And what does that mean? That means um, eating well. You know, we come from the Navy, the people of all different walks of life from all different parts of the country and across the globe. We eat all different things. It's hard to shove everybody into a Mediterranean diet, but we have to be thoughtful and, and have some moderation there. Maintain a healthy weight. Be, uh, have good uh, cardiovascular fitness, exercise regularly. Definitely, definitely, definitely don't smoke. And if you are a smoker, do everything you can to quit and seek help uh, with that. Uh, go Undergoing periodic medical evaluation with your primary doc uh, to you know, evaluate things like cholesterol, screen for diabetes, uh, a tree, uh, evaluate for high blood pressure, have that managed. Those are all really the fundamentals. Second to that, if you have symptoms um, that are concerning to you, chest discomfort, pressure, shortness of breath, you know, uh, feeling dizzy, lightheaded when you're exercising, and really any exertional symptoms that are uh, concerning to you and out of the ordinary, especially if they come on quickly, you should be evaluated. And uh, listen to the medical team that's um, in their recommendations and follow through. And as I mentioned, you know, first take care of others, especially for uh, you know our Navy uh, team. If you know of uh, you know colleagues who have mentioned these kinds of symptoms, encourage them to be evaluated. For me personally, as I said, you know, being told to do everything in moderation. Um, was the worst thing the doctor could tell me because that's what I was doing. And it took me a couple of months. I ran into a friend of mine who said, hey, you need to watch uh, the show on Netflix called Game Changers. And uh, I one day I went home and started watching it. And halfway through it, I turned to my wife and I go, "Hun, I no longer eat meat, drink uh, milk products, or eat eggs. And she looked at me. She went, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and she was making some, you know, this pork cutlets at, at the time. And I go, I don't know what I'm going to eat, but I'm not eating that. <laughs> and it's been uh, over a year now uh, since I had any of that stuff. And, you know, for me personally, realizing that we are not being given the full story about the way food affects some of our bodies. And the fact that I chose to continue on this career where I'm in this high stress environment where cortisol, high cortisol levels from the stress um, can lead to, you know, plaque buildup in my arteries, then if I didn't change the inputs, then the result was going to be the same. And I did not want to put my family in that position. Maybe I am, but mentally I'm in a better space now because I made that positive change. Um, so 
watch Game Changers <laughs> is what I'll say. Um, you don't have to be like Rob and, you know, go all out and be a plant-based guy, but um, at least, you know, watch, watch it and make a decision for yourself. Number two, just like Doc says, um, if you're exercising, especially if you're in your mid-40s or older, and you go to the doc and, the, you know, your primary care physician says, oh, it's probably just the exercise. It went away. If it comes back, let me know. Do not take that first answer. Okay. If you know in your heart you've never felt that before, you know, that's your warning. Um, and you have to take that seriously and go, doc, I appreciate that. But I really would like to take advantage of the best medical care in the country and get us get to see a cardiologist, please. Okay, so please give me that consult and I'll take the risk. You're not going to get these screened, you know, more than likely if they find the issue early. I can't say the same for submariners, uh, you know, but um, I because I, I, I honestly don't know. But more than likely, um, that should not that should not um, stop you from going to see the specialist. And other than that, just think about the big picture, okay? Um, culturally, we're not, you know, we may not be in the best place in, in that um, spend a lot of time trying to get the mission done, which is fine. But the advice that you're giving to your sailors, you need to also give that same advice and take that same advice. And if you've got no one to talk to, you should be talking to your spouse, you should be talking to your family, and you should be talking to the doctor and go, Doc, I'm being honest with you. This didn't feel right. That's why I'm telling you this, okay? I don't feel like we can go to anyone else. Keep it on the hush, but I want to go see the cardiologist. Don't tell the captain. Don't tell anyone. And, you know, that is my recommendation how we should, should handle it. I want to thank our guests today, uh, Captain Francis and, uh, and Lieutenant Commander Perinus. The uh, article again was in the March uh, volume, what we call the volume, meaning it was posted in March, Warrior Spirit, Fickle Heart. Uh, you can read it for yourself. And with that, I want to thank our listeners and always remind everyone that victory begins at the Naval Institute.